It's time to take a look at the global macro picture with Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, so good to have you here with us. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Caroline. So we're talking about China's GDP number came in at four and a half percent for the first three months of the year, beat expectations. What are your takeaways? Yeah, so this is actually a really amazing number because while it was up about four and a half percent on a year over year basis, for the quarter, which is kind of the way we measure GDP in the US, we take the quarter, we annualize it, it came in at 2.2. Annualize that, that's nearly 9% GDP growth in Q1. Truly a blowout number and better than analysts expected. LMVH gave us a preview, that's the, of course, European luxury goods manufacturer, uh, a preview of China's consumer demand last week when they reported nearly double analyst expectations uh, on their numbers, thanks in part to strong demand from China. It's really been a really powerful number here, and that really speaks to March. The March activity data, which joined this report, retail sales, industrial production, all pretty strong numbers, seeing this uh, sequential rebound in, in activity as they've reopened from their COVID lockdowns last year. I think what's interesting is that um, what we're seeing is this is not translating into strong warning signs of a rebound in inflation. Remember, this is the world's second largest economy, finally emerging from its pandemic, and that could mean higher inflation pressure for the rest of the world at a time the rest of the world doesn't want it. But so far, Caroline, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing a big uptick in things like oil or copper, uh, even as travel and construction rebound in China. Now, that may be partly because property-related activity in China was mixed in March, as evidenced by the plunge in new homes home starts that they saw and the surge in new home completions. What that reflects is a shift in policy to delivering pre-sold homes rather than starting new ones. That could begin to shift in, in the coming months in a way that could boost demand for copper and other construction materials. But so far we haven't seen that and that's somewhat encouraging that China's reopening is not becoming a problem for the rest of the world. So is it safe to say that China's recovery from zero COVID is on pretty solid footing at this point? Yeah, it looks pretty solid. Uh, it, when we take a look at measures of services activity, which are things we can track transparently when it comes to China, we know that a lot of the government produced data may be smooth, it may be lagging, but what we can see in data like the number of, of booked flights on international airlines, absolutely surging from China, box office results, numbers that we're getting from companies reporting earnings with big sales in China, all point to a very powerful rebound. But the question is, how long does it last? We all would expect as you reopen from a year of lockdowns to see a big surge in activity, but does it continue in the second quarter and third quarter, or does it begin to fade very quickly? The implications of that will matter as it relates to battling inflation for the world's central banks. Yeah, and does it become inflationary? Doesn't seem to be the case, at least according to what you said. So a bit of a different picture in Europe and here in the U.S. So what clues can we get from Europe in terms of inflation to uh, kind of get an idea of how it can all play out here? Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in what's happening in Europe with inflation. And, you know, in Spain, uh, CPI has retreated to 3.3% after peaking above 10% last fall. And Spain is interesting because it's kind of a leading indicator of where inflation is going in Europe because they were more quick to apply and then phase out consumer subsidies during the pandemic relative to the rest of Europe and certainly relative to the U.S. And that gives us a potential glimpse into the future of inflation. And what you can see in this chart is that it actually tends to lead overall European uh, inflation very closely. 
and by about three months. And if so, it's really pointing to a plunge in inflation here in the coming months in, in the Eurozone, and that might continue to bode well for the U.S. as well. I'd also note that per, uh, producer prices are plunging around the world. Notably, PPI in Norway has gone from hyperinflation to hyperdeflation. We're now looking at the purchasing uh, or the producer price index down over 20% in Norway and headed even lower. So we are seeing some of these dramatic shifts towards uh, much lower pricing pressure that may uh, be a real sense of relief to many of the world's central banks. Jeff, you talked about CPI in Spain being around, what, 3.3%. Here in the U.S., we always talk about the Fed's 2% target. Is 2% kind of the international benchmark for inflation? Yeah, it is. It actually started in New Zealand back in 1989. They came out with a 2% inflation target. They were the first, and then it was subsequently adopted by many other nations. It actually wasn't until 2012 that the U.S. officially stated a 2% inflation target, so kind of dragged its feet relative to other countries. But yes, it is very much the standard around the world. And I don't know that we are going to be able to maintain that level or get to it and maintain it in the near term, but I think it's still probably a reasonable longer-term target, at least somewhere between two and three, though it could take some time before we get there. I realize Spain is seemingly getting very close, but again, I do worry about some of these inflation pressures from China, while they're not showing up yet, beginning to impact here as we look to the second half of the year as that recovery broadens. Well, you raise a good point because the Fed has held firm that their goal is to bring inflation back to target, saying that that target is 2%. Do you think eventually the Fed increases that target just because it it's, won't be attainable to get back down there, given all of the inflationary factors still at play? They may reassess their target. Other countries may as well, as, as we look to more structural differences in this cycle than, than maybe prior cycles. But I don't think they have the well, I guess credibility to do it right now, having talked about transitory uh, not all that long ago and, and dismissing some of the inflation pressures. I think they need to get inflation more under control and, and sustain it at whatever level for a while before they can talk about changing the goalpost on that one. So that's more of a political issue. And by the way, we're going to hear from many Fed speakers this week. Uh, most of them, in fact, uh, the governors and presidents are speaking this week. We'll have to hear whether they talk at, at all about targets, but I don't think that's on the near-term horizon. Yeah, it seems like there's just a, a camp that thinks the Fed is going to, it seems like the majority think that the Fed is going to hike one more time in May, but then there's the camp that thinks that they're going to, to cut sooner versus later, potentially in 2023 versus 2024. Which camp are you in, Jeff? Well, we've been in the camp that, yes, there's probably another hike here, but they're not going to be able to cut as aggressively at the, as the market's thinking. I'm in that camp because I really did believe that we'd see more inflation pressure coming out of China's reopening here. Again, so far it hasn't materialized, but that doesn't mean it won't as we see uh, you know demand continue to surge relative to supply. I'd note that the amount of air travel taking place in China right now is absolutely off the charts, but that's coming at a time when air travel in the rest of the world hasn't yet recovered to pre-pandemic levels, but it's continuing to climb. And as we do, oil consumption and travel is, is I think, going to be a factor. Well, we're, obviously, we've got OPEC cuts in place. So I think oil prices are probably biased to the upside. A number of other commodities, they may begin to feed into overall inflation, making it stubborn and hard to get down to that target. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why the market's over, uh, uh, overly optimistic as it relates to the amount of rate cuts that are likely late this year.
So let's talk about market implications here, because obviously we have quite a few headwinds that, that investors still have to contend with. Inflation, not just the only one. Even a, another Fed rate hike, not the only one. There's obviously recession risk. There's still the potential for, for bank stress. We're, of course, at the early stages of earnings season, so guidance will be very important. What do you think all of this means for the market in terms of uh, where it goes from here? Well, I think an easy answer is volatility. And I think we've seen a lot of that. Over the last nine months, we've seen the stock market, just even looking at the S&P 500, move 5% up or down in almost every month over the last nine or 10 months. Some of those recently have been to the upside, but uh, could certainly be to the downside, as we saw with the banking stress in March and how quickly the markets can move. So I think a lot of ups and downs are to be expected. We're, we're, we've got some pretty good numbers so far year to date. But, but we may be challenged to really build on those consistently. Therefore, I think the message from that is to stick with higher quality stocks, those companies with strong near-term cash flow. We've been looking at low price to cash flow stocks. We've been talking about it on this show for over a year now. They've continued to outperform by a double-digit margin in the overall markets. I think that's critical and, and a really important focus. You can find them in every sector and in every country, but emphasizing those low price to cash flow stocks, again, you can find those with a simple stock screener, uh, seem to be holding up the best when it comes to the downside and rallying some of the strongest when we see the, the good updates as well. So that's a focus I think investors want to maintain. So you think short duration will continue to outperform? Exactly. Yeah, I do believe that's the case. Even though I know you know interest rates have probably maybe they maybe they saw their peak late last year, and maybe the Fed is closer to ending their series of rate hikes. But I think an emphasis on short duration, given the focus of risks of recession, the risks of inflation, many other factors creating that volatility, I think investors are going to continue to prefer those stocks. All right, we have about three minutes before the opening bell. What are you keeping your eye on today, Jeff, and just in terms of what could move the markets in the, in the nearer term? Yeah, I mean, it's earnings, earnings, earnings. We want to hear not just what business leaders were able to achieve in the first quarter, but what their outlook is for the quarters ahead, given, as, as you noted, the concerns about inflation, the concerns about recession, of the banking stress. We want to hear that. We also get, by the way, the, the Fed's beige book tomorrow, and that might give us a real look into a number of banks around the country and what they're thinking, color about their lending practices, very important to the concerns here we have after the banking stress. Will banks cut back on their lending? How hard is it for businesses to get the credit they need to finance inventories and other factors? So we want to keep a close eye on that here in the near term. All right. We'll keep an eye out for that. Jeffrey Kleintop of Charles Schwab. Thanks so much. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you as well.